I will move on to introducing the first speaker, Dr. Vivian Richter, who received her PhD in biochemistry from La Trobe University after studying proteins found on mitochondria in human cells. This involved growing tiny microscopic crystals and shooting them with X-ray beams at the Australian synchrotron. As a science writer, Vivian has written about everything from the atomic to the astronomical, but one of her favourite topics remains the weird and wonderful world of microbes. Thank you, Vivian. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm, uh, I'm moving house at the moment, so I hope that my story is not scattered like all my belongings. Um, been doing lots of cleaning and packing and cleaning. And um, uh, so, hey, like, speaking of clean, every single one of you guys has several trillion um, microbial cells on and inside your body. So let's just let that sink in. That's a, that's a nice thought, you know. Um, but that's, you know, that's great. Like, you know, we used to think that microbes are pretty gross. They make us sick. We should try and live germ-free. But, you know, there's been this huge shift in what we know about microbes. And we're finding out that they're actually really good for us. You know, they keep our digestion going. They keep our immune system in check. And, um, you know, we, we love microbes. And, um, you know... Um, like it's, it's, it's true that, you know, like you look at images of microbes under a microscope, like I don't know if you've ever seen those scanning electron micrograph, uh, microscopy images that have um, images of microbes which look like monsters, essentially. You know, they've got like a thousand teeth, a hundred legs, you know, stingers, tails, things that's definitely designed to kill you. They look like monsters. Um, and then there's the sort of the single cell microbes that just kind of exist as blobs and, you know, they're quite happy just eating and pooping and multiplying and, you know, just kind of living. Um, they might be like extremophiles, so they could, you know, live at, um, you know, boiling temperatures or thrive in liquids that are more acidic than your stomach acids. Um, or, you know, they could just sort of live in your dog's ear and be quite happy um, there. Um, but, I mean, the, the point is that there's microbes everywhere, right? You know, there's this world of microbes um, around. And around 350 years ago, we had no idea that they even existed. So um, the story that I want to tell you guys today is about the guy that first laid eyes on these microbes. And um, he was a, a Dutchman by the name of Anton van Leeuwenhoek. Um, I apologize to potential Dutch people in the room. I'm probably um, butchering that name. Um, so, we're going back to 1666, and this was a really exciting time for the Netherlands. You know, this was the golden age of Dutch exploration and discovery. Um, the 80 Years' War had just ended, science and art and trade was all thriving. You know, it was an exciting time for the country. Um, and our friend Leeuwenhoek was on a trade mission to London. Now, Leeuwenhoek was definitely not a scientist at all. He was a, a tradesman. His family, um, he, he came from a long line, line of tradesmen. His father was a basket maker. His, mother, his mother's family were all brewers. And he really wanted to follow in the footsteps of, um, of his family. So uh, when he was 16, he moved to Amsterdam, um, as you do. And um, he became um, an apprentice at a linen draper's shop. And he began an apprenticeship, which would last six years. And after that, he went back to Delft, um, where he grew up. And he 
became, he got his own textiles shop. Um, and he did really well for himself. You know, he uh, set up business. He had a family. He had some children. His business was thriving. And he was well regarded in the community. Um, he got himself a job as a sheriff chamberlain at City Hall, which, you know, sounds like a job that a well regarded, kind of an important person has. Uh, he also became the official wine gauger of Delft, which. Uh, apparently has something to do with imports and taxation, but I assume has also quite a bit to do with drinking a lot of high-quality wine. So, you know, our friend Leeuwenhoek, he liked the finer things in life, you know, and one thing was kind of pissing him off. He really wanted to look at his textile, so he was, you know, he was a bit of a, a stealer for quality, and he really wanted to look at his textiles more closely. He wanted to be able to look at the threads inside his textiles to make sure that they were better than anyone else's textiles. So he was in London in, in 1666, and he was on his trade mission. He was speaking to other merchants. He was doing, you know, the normal things that you do on a, a trade mission, whatever that might be. And out of interest, he picks up this book called Micrographia, which was really popular at the time. It was all the rage, um, and it had been written by an English scientist called Robert Hooke. And now the reason it was so popular was because it had all these images of life at high resolution. So um, it had things like flies and lice and bugs and other little things um, at a resolution that nobody had seen before, much larger than what the naked eye could see. And of course, Robert Hooke had made these uh, fantastic drawings using microscopes and um, the big, I guess, showcase piece of his book, Micrographia, was the compound microscope. So this was really exciting at the time. Now, um, we all know that uh, glass, curved glass, like in a magnifying glass, um, can bend light so that it focuses to a point where an object underneath the lens can uh, magnify images. Now, what People had figured out with a compound microscope that if you put these lenses together in a tube, you get magnification, you get, you know, this effect multiplies, you get even more magnification than you would with a single lens. So this was the big showcase piece. People were really excited about it. Um, you know, this is a thing that you would show off to your international visitors, you know, hey, check out what we can do with light, you know, this is really exciting. Um, the, the problem was with uh, in actual fact, these lenses back in the day, they weren't actually that great. So even though you could put these magnifying glasses, these lenses together to create a technically bigger magnification, you would actually end up increasing aberrations much more as well, which basically means that the wavelengths of light that come into this magnifying glass, they don't quite meet at the bottom. The wavelengths kind of get jumbled up a little bit. So you end up with fuzzy images. So even though theoretically, you know, compound microscope was all the rage and you could, you know, magnify images more and more, um, they, the images came out kind of fuzzy. So Robert Hooke actually kind of made his um, drawings, all these wonderful drawings in his um, book Micrographia, with uh, less lenses, so with a, with a simple microscope. And so hidden away in one of the pages was this description of a lens that was very small. It was no larger than the head of a, a dressmaker's pin. And um, 
there was a there was there was a description there of, of how to create this lens, and that's the the page that our friend Leeuwenhoek laid his eyes on, and he thought, right, this will be sweet for me to look at my textiles and my threads, <laughs> as you do. Uh, so. Leeuwenhoek, he, he grabbed this book, he took it back to the Netherlands, and he started making lenses. He um, made the lenses according to Hook's uh, um, method, which was essentially taking a glass rod um, and holding it over a flame, and then pulling the glass rod apart until you get two very fine whiskers of glass. And then each of these thin whiskers you actually hold back into the flame and then you create a very tiny um, but a very, uh, I guess, high quality, a very round uh, glass sphere. And these became the lenses, these spheres became the lenses of, of his microscopes. And he began tweaking this method, you know, he kind of tried different things and um, he became a master at this, Leeuwenhoek. Um, he made several hundred of these lenses during, um, during his life. And, um, you know, and, and essentially what he did um, was create these uh, spheres, which were very small, but were perfect. You know, they, they, were, very, um, they were very round, essentially, and they could magnify images um, by an extraordinary amount. So what he would actually do is he he would take these tiny glass spheres and he would sort of sandwich them between two metal plates. So imagine this sort of has a hole in it. And then at the bottom of these metal plates, he'd have some screws um, that would suspend this point. And so he would be able to put a sample on this point in front of this lens and just kind of like look at it like this, like look at stuff. And I mean, sure, it's, it's, it's not as sexy, right, as like your compound, you know, tube microscope, which is leather bound and which has, you know, which your international visitors are interested in. Um, but like, boy, did it work. Like, um, so the, com the microscopes at the time, they could practically magnify images up to like 20 or 30 times. Leeuwenhoek's, uh, uh, Leeuwenhoek's microscope, simple microscope, could magnify images 270 times, so more than 100, uh, more than 10 times uh, what the microscopes could do at the time. So uh, take that compound microscope. <laughs> um, and you know, and and it, it was amazing. Like he, um, uh, the, the, I mean, I guess he, he looked at his threads in his fabrics at some point, right? Because that's what he was um, interested in at first, but. Really, you know, he started looking at the kind of stuff that Robert Hooke was into. So, like, life. Like, um, the first things he was looking at were uh, molds and bees and lice. And he looked at all these things at a resolution that nobody had seen before. He, had, he was looking at things that nobody had seen before. And what he did is he wrote letters with his observations and drawings of what he saw to the Royal Society of England, which uh, was and still is a society for acknowledging and supporting science. It's a relatively new thing at the time. And they loved his stuff. My gosh, they ate it up and um, they published his findings uh, in their journal, the uh, Proceedings of the Royal Society. But I guess the, the big break, uh, break, uh, groundbreaking discovery happened in 1674 when Leeuwenhoek took one of his microscopes and he thought, 
you know, oh, what else can I look at today? And he decided to take a, a glass tube that was filled with some pond water. And inside, in the water, he didn't just see, you know, some dirt and some bits of leaves and stuff. He saw single-celled life. He saw protists and bacteria. And, you know, they would propel themselves around and they were made of all sorts of weird and wonderful shapes. And they were alive, you know, single-celled life. He was the, the, the first person to see these um, protists and bacteria. And, um, you know, just think about what that would have been like to see something that nobody had ever seen before. And, um, you know, th these things, like if you took a, a strand of your hair and you, like, chopped it very finely a hundred times, like, that's as wide as these things would have been. They were so small, but uh, Leeuwenhoek had the tool to be able to see them. He had created the microscope that could, um, that could see, that, through which he could see these things. So, and oh, and he endearingly called them animalcules, which is just like, <laughs> which is just adorable, right? <laughs> Um, and, you know, and once he discovered this microscopic world, he just had to have more. And he just started looking at everything he could get his hands on. So we're talking stool samples, we're talking sperm samples from animals. Um, he clearly wasn't grossed out by these things at all. He looked at microbes from the plaque between his wife's teeth. Um, you know, anything he could get his hands on, you know, he was clearly fascinated by these things. And um, so he sent his description of, you know, single-celled life to the Royal Society of England and, you know, sent his observations and his drawings and they thought, right, good old, good old Leeuwenhoek has lost his marbles. They just... You know, didn't believe him. They, they didn't think that such a thing could exist. And, you know, put a bit of a strain on the relationship because he'd been writing letters for a long time and they were impressed and all of a sudden they were like, oh, yeah, you know, you're crazy. Um, so they actually sent eight scientists and officials to Leeuwenhoek's little home lab to verify his claims, to, you know, make sure he wasn't crazy, and, um, and they did, you know, they, um, they looked through Leeuwenhoek's microscopes and they saw what he saw and they, they you know, had to, had to rewrite their textbooks, they had to rewrite their own theories on life, so um, take that, Royal Society. <clears throat> and, and, you know, the things, there were other things that Leeuwenhoek discovered that were pretty groundbreaking because at the time people had some pretty nutty ideas, you know, they thought that Weevils, for instance, just kind of like popped out of thin air and fleas formed from sand or dust and eels, this is cute. At the time, people thought pe like eels just kind of formed out of dew, you know, all these very magical, wonderful things. And Leeuwenhoek, um, using his microscope, discovered that they, you know, had really quite scientific, normal reproductive cycles. So, you know, again, changing um, completely how people thought about... Um, you know, about, about life. So over 50 years, Leeuwenhoek ended up writing around um, 190 letters to the Royal Society. And, and he was nominated and elected to the Society uh, in 1680, which was, I guess, a pretty big deal because Leeuwenhoek was not really, you know, a traditional scientist. He was a businessman who just happened to make these awesome microscopes um, and, um, you know, made all these observations. But he didn't go to any Royal Society meeting. He didn't even go to his own induction ceremony. 
I don't know if chucking a Bob Dylan is a thing yet, but I'm going to say that was like the first instance of it. Um, sorry, that was bad. <laughs> um, so, you know, he wasn't really interested in the fame of it all. He just really loved being in his little home lab, making his microscopes, making his lenses, drawing and writing about what he saw. And honestly, like to this day, nobody actually knows how he tweaked the method, how he made his lenses to be as good as they were. He was a very savvy businessman who kept his cards very close to his chest. And he literally thought, like, oh, if I tell the scientific community how I make these things, then, well, they're just kind of going to forget about me. So, um, so, yeah, so he didn't tell anyone. He was a bit of a hoarder when it came to his method. Uh, but he loved making observations, and he kept on making his observations right to the very end. He kept on writing letters, his uh, last few letters, which he wrote in the weeks leading up to his death were about um, actually his own condition. He had a rare uh, disease of the diaphragm, which was actually later called uh, Leeuwenhoek's disease. But, you know, over, over his life of, of 90 years, which was pretty good considering he was born in the 17th century, um, he had written around 285 letters detailing his findings. He had created more than 300 lenses, made these amazing microscopes, um, had been visited by famous people from all around the world, and you know, he discovered protist bacteria, he discovered vacuoles, which are these tiny storage bubbles inside cells, he discovered sperm cells, um, the banding patterns on muscle fibers, he discovered all sorts of things, um, all from his insatiable thirst to look at this world which nobody had ever seen before. Um, so anyway, so 13 years ago in 2004, a Dutch broadcasting company ran a survey called Der Grootste Nederlander, uh, the greatest Dutchman. It, it's a real thing, I'm not kidding, like 300,000 people voted in this. Um, but Leeuwenhoek came in at number four, which is pretty good, right? Like. Vincent van Gogh, arguably more famous, he came in at number 10. So, um, you know, good on you, Leeuwenhoek. And, you know, of course, like today we've got microscopes that are, you know, much better than Leeuwenhoek's little, you know, spherical lenses. We have um, microscopes today that can resolve, you know, single atoms, which are like 10,000 times smaller than Leeuwenhoek's little animalcules. Um, and of course, you know, we, we can do this complicated genetic analysis on, um, you know, entire microbial communities. But um, really what Leeuwenhoek did is he laid a foundation um, for looking at this microbial world, which um, gave him, you know, the name of the, the father of um, um, microscopic, uh, uh, microscopic studies. And if he hadn't, you know, who knows, maybe we wouldn't have even thought to look. So, thank you. <laughs>